Welcome to Daikaiju Network, where we have a healthy obsession with Kaiju. I am your co-host, Kent, and with me is your other co-host. Jason, how's it going, everyone? You may see something a little bit different <laughs> this time around. Yeah, you got a booger right here. That's oh, what you really? Got. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what, what, it keeps broadening out of your nose. Oh. <laughs> What we're going to be doing today is discussing the brand new Godzilla movie, Fresh Out of Toho, Godzilla Minus One, which hit U.S. theaters here a handful of days ago. But before we do that, Jason, the usual. Yeah, if you see a subscribe button down below or above wherever you're watching us from, make sure to hit that subscribe button as well. Smash or stump the like button. And if you have any uh, comments regarding to uh, the the movie that we're going to be currently discussing here make sure to have your comments written down below and you can find everything daikaiju network all in one place at our link tree url right there smack dab on your screen for slash daikaiju network and we're available on the following video platforms such as youtube rumble twitch facebook and as well as x and as well as the following audio platforms that were available on, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and as well as Popping. And you can find both video and audio versions of our episodes right there on our website at daikaijunetwork.com. All right, so let's go ahead. Godzilla Minus One, a very anticipated film, especially over here in the States. Uh, the movie financially, when combined with not only what the Japanese have made, but also what it's made so far over here, the film is a financial success. It's also so far looking to be a critical success as well. And so, yeah, because yeah, uh, when I checked it here yesterday's uh, according to Box Office Mojo, I think it was nearing the five million dollar mark as far as the domestic, and then I think um, uh, worldwide it was right around twenty something million dollars. Uh, so it was kind of nearing thirty million in total so far. And the thing that really stinks about its release, though, is the fact that whoever is distributing it here in the States, I don't think has really uh, used any money to advertise it in, yeah. in a wide enough spectrum to really yeah. get people into theaters. Because not only – although I will say the Friday night showing I went to, there was like 30-some-odd people at it, which I thought was decent turnout and then last night probably because i live in michigan and the wolverines were playing the big 10 game last night um there were probably no more than 10 it was like a third yeah pretty much it's been sparse yeah pretty much toho was uh the only distributor for this film so they probably should have done a little bit more uh marketing uh I would say probably should have done a little bit more research as far as like some of the other major studios, especially over here, how they do some of their marketing and stuff. So well, they're and, probably not quite used to this sort of major release. Well, and I mean, as we've talked about before in various previous episodes where Toho and just the Japanese um, studio system over there, they, they don't 
throw the the sorts of money at their film projects like Hollywood does over here. And so I I think in many ways it's still kind of – they're still playing by their own rules as far as how they build and and distribute a film. Um, I You know, I'm not – we haven't done a brand new movie in a while. I'm not entirely sure. I would say, I would say, off yet, yeah, but. I would say the last time that we did a brand new movie review and discussion uh, was Godzilla versus Khan. So that was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, t- like two and a half years, over two and a half years ago. Close, this. close to three years. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. It's one thing when you're talking about an older film because then you can get some history involved to the building up of the film. Here, it's right. just like, yeah, it's a brand new movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I could start off by saying definitely, uh, as always in the past, there will be spoilers here. If you have not seen the film and you're, you know, not, and you're wanting to go in unspoiled, come you're back to Warm. And <laughs> maybe, maybe I should uh, put in a little banner here saying uh, sp- uh, warning spoiler discussion here. Yeah, I, but I mean, you know, I don't think I don't think you can have and I've said this ad nauseum before. I, I don't think you can have a real discussion about, you know, any sort of thing like a, a movie or even a novel without, um, you know, given away almost entirely what happens because otherwise right. yeah I've, I've i know seen we've, ins- yeah i know we've sort of talked about this before in the past when we discussed some of the new movies uh coming out or that were just out for a while but are recent that i mean if no one hasn't even seen the movie yet like it's it's sort of hampers or um, another way of saying is what's the point of even discussing the movie when you can't even get into <laughs> major spoilers well, and everything and, and what I've seen in a number of podcasts including a handful of kaiju podcasts is that what a lot of these podcasts end up doing is they do the initial episode where they try to be non-spoilery and then they come mm-hmm. back a little bit later and then do a spoiler one it's like yeah it's it's sort of meaningless to do a it's redundant in, in, yeah. in a lot of it's like i mean if that's what you want to do fine but you know why not just have one and move on to the next thing but right. <laughs> anyways um basically i guess i'll just start off by kind of talking about the the story of godzilla minus one as as much of a nutshell as i possibly can so the movie uh starts off you know near the end of of world war ii in 1945 uh, our main character koichi i want to get his last name right Uh, here shikishima yeah shikishima and i'm gonna call him koichi for the remainder of the episode um (laughs) he lands his plane on odo island which is sort of um I forget the term. It's, he it's a uh, it's a kamikaze pilot repair 
yeah, uh, it, it's a hub. Yeah, for kamikaze pilots if they have issues with their planes, um, they find out the technician, the main technician Tachibana, finds out that re- really there was nothing wrong with his plane. And then that evening, the sirens go off, and then a giant dinosaur type of creature shows up. A pretty interesting uh, a reimagining of the Godzilla saurus, I will mm-hmm. say. And the Godzilla saurus kills all but Koichi and Tachibana that night. And then uh, Koichi uh, and Tachibana are eventually picked up uh, because by that point the war is is done. They're going home. Koichi goes back home, which I believe I forget. I do they even really say where he lives? It was. I never. Got I would an say idea it was somewhere around. Lives. I would say it was somewhere around Tokyo when you. It could be around Tokyo. So okay. Yeah, because well, he lives somewhere within Tokyo. Uh, people are pretty upset with him because with him being a kamikaze pilot, the fact that he didn't do his job, some people are pretty pissed about that. Uh, but then he uh, had this gal, uh, Nor- Noriko, uh, meets up with. Uh, meets up with him she has this orphaned girl that she's taking care of and so basically they just end up staying with him and over the next couple years they um kind of build a life together even though they aren't married and you can kind of tell that both of them on some level want to be married but um um Koichi kind of has these issues still with what happened on Odo Island. He's haunted by them. And then we have the Bikini Atoll explosion in 1946, which ultimately mutates our favorite kaiju into the full-fledged Godzilla for this film. And then in 1947, um, Noriko gets a job in Ginza. Godzilla shows up on the Japanese mainland for the first time, uh, does some heavy damage. His atomic breath – actually, well, I I skipped over a thing. Um, 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 Koichi gets a job with a few other characters who will end up being with him the rest of the film. Uh, One is uh, Shiro Mizushima, who is – also called Kid uh, as a nickname in the film. Uh, And then there's um, Kenji Noda, a former weapon engineer and kind of the scientist of the film. And then um, where's the guy here? Uh, Yoji Akitsu, who is the captain. I'm going to call Kenji Noda Noda, uh, Akitsu captain, and um, Mizushima kid for the rest of this podcast for to make it easier. <laughs> um, they are uh, they're involved in helping the Japanese government clear a bunch of landmines off of Japan. There's about sixty thousand of them, and they work with another small vessel to do that. So they just go out, cut the chains, and then shoot them and blow them up. Then they meet up with. Uh, they uh, are told to go to this large war vessel that has just recently been sunk by a mysterious creature. Uh, Koichi knows uh, what sunk it. He's trying to tell him it's Godzilla. The other three, Kid, Captain, and Noda, are kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on here? We thought it was this. We thought the Americans had you know, killed those guys off of Odo Island. And then eventually Godzilla does show up, destroys their um, 
their other fishing vessel that was helping them clear mines and then it chases them for a little bit they use a couple of landmines to try to kill them the first one doesn't succeed the second one is in godzilla's mouth koichi explodes it by shooting at the mine it sort of takes out part of godzilla's uh, face on one side but then he rapidly heals continues his chases and about to put a final blow on him until a the uh, taco war vessel coming in from singapore comes in and engages with godzilla then godzilla long story short ends up destroying that vessel then godzilla shows up in ginza does some damage there his atomic breath destroys uh, the capital and it's sort of this mushroom cloud effect that his atomic breath is able to do it seems that no uh, noriko is dead koichi is very much distraught and so he's left with Akiko, the little girl that Noriko brought with her who was orphaned. And um, the Noda tells Koichi that there is this citizen plan to try to destroy Godzilla and that the Japanese government can't get involved with it and the U.S. can't help because they're afraid that if the U.S. gets involved, the Soviet Union is going to think the U.S. is – trying to do some shenanigans to the Soviet Union. So it's up to the citizens to destroy Godzilla. And the plan is to attach Freon tanks to Godzilla to sink him. And he's supposed to sink so fast that the pressure is supposed to crush him. If that doesn't work, plan B is to inflate these large carbon dioxide balloons that are supposed to raise him back up and decompress him and that between the decompress I mean the compression and decompression is supposed to hopefully end up killing Godzilla so um, Koichi ends up uh, Noda I should say ends up finding a plane because Koichi is hellbent on avenging the mechanics that he feels responsible to have uh, he's re he feels responsible for their deaths because he didn't fire at the godzilla sore when he was on that island because he froze up with fear um he wants a plane uh he is thinking about kamikaze and throwing a bunch of explosives into godzilla's mouth because after what happened in their initial encounter with godzilla at sea he believes godzilla is vulnerable from the inside and so nota does find a plane form it's a prototype they never were really used they were initially going to be used had the u.s landed on japan during the war but that never happened because the two atomic bombs were dropped and so um the plane needs work koichi tries to find tachibana eventually he does tachibana still pissed at him for what happened on odo island but tachibana does pull through brings his crew in uh works on uh, the new plane, everything by and large is set up, ready to go for this final plan to lure Godzilla out into uh, what is the Sagami Trench, which is about 1,500 meters deep, uh, designed to hopefully crush and kill Godzilla. But Godzilla shows up a little bit sooner than everyone expects, and so um, a little bit of the surrounding Tokyo area is destroyed, but then Koichi takes off and um 
eventually lures Godzilla out into sea. They in, uh, initiate the plan to wrap Godzilla around in this cable with the Freon cylinders. Um, that takes place. They shoot Godzilla down, and they are wondering if they got him. No, they didn't, so they shoot him back up. Mm-hmm. But then he stops at about the 800-meter level, and uh, they're like, what's happening? Well, then everything shoots back up again. Well, he chews through the cable that had the Freon cylinders and the CO2 balloons attached. And then they eventually, with the help of Kid, who was told not to go on this trip, and a bunch of other people's, as Kid calls them the useless. <laughs> they come with their tiny tugboats, help the two war vessels, drag Godzilla up. Godzilla has a bunch of Freon and stuff on him, is ready to shoot off his final breath, which is looking to destroy at least one of the uh, vessels. But then Koichi comes in and throws his plane to Godzilla's mouth. Everyone thinks, and when then the plane blows up in Godzilla's mouth, everyone thinks that Koichi did commit kamikaze, but then Noda notices uh, Koichi uh, parachute down, and then we take a picture over to Godzilla. His body falls apart. He's sinking into the trench. And they all go home, and the neighbor uh, Koichi gave uh, Akiko to got a telegram saying that Noriko was actually still alive at a hospital. So then the movie uh, concludes with Koichi finding Noriko, uh, crying with sadness at, at the sight of Noriko, and then it ultimately closes with a shot of a large chunk of Godzilla's corpse regenerating and that's it that wasn't much of a nutshell but (laughs) i wanted to give enough of a picture to sort of pretty much three paragraphs worth (laughs) yeah i mean i and now i don't know exactly where to go from here Uh, you know what i did a lot of talking there why don't you just kind of lead us off in terms of the actual discussion i would say why don't we start with um the story and a plot for godzilla minus one uh with with the story and plot it's you can say it's sort of straightforward in a way but i would say it's kind of has some of the complex uh, complexities here and there in certain areas throughout the film but it's just kind of i would say with like with some of the action films where they tend to be sort of nonstop uh, throughout the entire film as far as having a lot of action going on. I would say with Godzilla Minus One, it sort of goes with that trend with maybe uh, some spots here and there were kind of uh, sort of takes a little bit of a break, but then picks right back up. Uh, and tr- goes, you know, nonstop uh, drama and action, uh, that sort of thing. And I think it really fits with what um, Yamazaki was trying to do with the film. And instead of just kind of doing like the, the whole Jaws or Alien type of uh, footprint where some of the other directors of the past have been kind of imitating that portion where he's kind of doing where Yamazaki's kind of doing his 
uh, thing with this story just kind of sort of tying some of the lures of Godzilla's past and try to tie them more together uh, here where he's sort of took a little bit of of uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, the, the 91 film with Godzilla's source and maybe make him a little bit uh, different here, but then also taking bits of the original Gojira with Odo Island and everything just kind of fit everything from uh, the Godzilla universe or lore out of the entire 70 years or 69 years and try to sort of fit all of those things together in this film, which I think it's, I know we talked about, you know, the pandering and, and all that, but I would say with, with what Yamazaki was doing, I think this one is a good pandering, good pandering in a way, uh, kind of sort of a nod, but not sort of putting it in your face all the time. Yeah, I mean, I I, I let the quote-unquote pandering go. Um, the only real serious pandering I would say that took place in this film was the use of the uh, Ifukube Godzilla theme and then the use of the classic roar. But this movie is so different from – in many respects of what we've seen before. I – I went into this movie saying it's a retelling of the 54 movie, and after the two times I've seen it, I still call it a retelling of the 54 film, whereas that film took place in what was then modern Japan in 54. This one uh, obviously goes back in time because it's not the 1940s, but um, it even takes it sooner after world war ii just like two years not even like a year and a half after world war ii and i i i would like to know more specifically as to what why yamazaki did that because i have a couple theories as to maybe why he did that one theory i have is that maybe he just wanted to go back you know to godzilla's roots and we've heard you know Toho saying they want to do their own MCU style and I don't know if this is part of the reason why where they're trying to set up roots and origins at, for Godzilla perhaps I don't know if that's part of it well um but at the same time my second uh theory is that maybe because obviously Japan being the only country to have a nuclear bomb uh dropped on it that the country in still many ways that maybe there's a segment of the population that is still so um like haunted by that that even though um even though yes that generation that experienced it is slowly dying off um the fact though that the country itself and the way that it is right now is because of the catastrophe that happened to it in 1945 and maybe the current population or at least some sects of it are really sort of wanting to rethink a little bit as far as their own history and sort of the reason why we are Japan now is because of something that happened 
uh, math now, nearly 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple theories there. What he was thinking, I'm not sure. I've not seen any interviews or, or any sort of um, transcripts of a of an interview or anything like that. Yeah, I and I know I asked uh, August Ragone as far as is, if this could be the star of like Toho's supposed sort of um, world of Godzilla. What the heck was <laughs> all the confetti? <laughs> <laughs> Threw confetti out there. I didn't. It's just AI generators, some shit. Um, but uh, yeah, I I asked him about that. And he's and he said that it was a part of it. But after watching the very end with the corpse, where you see the corpse of Godzilla, you know, fastly regenerated before it showed the title card and credits, that it just led me to believe even before uh, watching this film it's like i just have a feeling that this could be 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 this Are you there? Hello, I think we're having some technical difficulty here. I missed out on a little bit of what Jason said there. So what I'm uh, hopefully this feed stays up long enough for him to get back in here. Um, so what I will say this, as far as my opinions on the story, I love it an awful lot. I think that a return to Godzilla's original roots, the product of nuclear bombs. And the uh, attacking of Japan. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Keegan. I didn't see your um, messages there. <laughs> um, oh, you can hear me, Jason? I can't see you, though. Like, there was this weird... Um, there was this weird repetition of something that you had said... And then I couldn't hear anything else you were saying, but I kept saying, this could be, this could be on loop. And now, uh, yeah, your stuff is froze. Yeah, because it shows this Elgato camera logo uh, here. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I'm sorry, folks. He got some new equipment. I'm not sure. What's going on? I'm so sick of these technical difficulties because now it just – it really killed <laughs> – um, it really killed the um, the whole pacing here. It looks like I'm by myself, and I don't know how long this will stay up because I'm not the one who's in charge of doing this. Um, but I really enjoy this story and the retelling of it. 
this movie um Jason took himself off to figure things out. Well, yeah, hopefully this stays. Um, I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to do a couple things at once here. I'm sorry, folks. Um, see, I'm, I'm even losing my train of thought. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, folks. Um, here's what I will say about the, the story kind of as a whole. I think... I think in many respects, this does things a little bit better than 54. And I understand that trying to compare this to a movie that is nearly 70 years old, for some people it's unfair because, again, you have the span of many years to where um, how you tell a story and what you're able to show is so different now than it was back then. And I know at least in Hollywood, there was a period of time where there was like movie codes and there were certain things you couldn't say, certain things you couldn't show, etc. for a while. And I'm not sure if that was true in Japan as well. So don't quote me on that. If anyone out there knows, then please say so in the comments below because I'm not sure if Japan had something similar to what Hollywood had uh, at the same time. But at the same time, too, wow, that was redundant. Um, <laughs> I do think you have to compare and contrast because, in many respects, this is a redoing of that 54 film, just like Peter Jackson's King Kong was a retelling of that 33 film. And oh, there he is. Uh, I see your lips moving, but I can't hear you. Yeah, I still can't hear you. Um, so I think it's still appropriate to compare and contrast the two films. Nope, still can't hear you. <laughs> All right, well, he went off again. So thankfully this... I'm so sorry, folks. What a disaster this is. <laughs> I'm so I'm so upset of the technical difficulties anymore. Like a majority of the time, it's the software, and we've gone through and t tried out so many different pieces of software over the years, and it always seems like eventually said software ends up displaying some fatal flaw within itself that ends up making us move to something else after a period of time. So, um, I'm, I'm similar in how I felt about Peter Jackson's King Kong and that I think that movie tells the Kong story more, um, effectively than the 33 film. And, I think this one tells that's uh, the God, the 54 style of Godzilla story, even though I understand this isn't a, an exact retelling of that. I think it tells that part of the story better. Whether or not that's fair, I leave up to you. If you have differing views, that's fine. You know, you can leave your, you know, let your opinion be known uh, again in comments below. But one of the things about this story that I really love. Can you hear me now? It. Can you hear me now? Yes. Finally. 
you're you're on a little bit of a video delay, but at least I can hear you. Yeah, I I don't know what the hell happened because I looked at the uh, my little mixer thing that the uh, the little uh, audio bars were just completely stuck and froze and everything, and I don't know what the hell happened <laughs> to everything. Like and I'm, I was and I'm on a and I'm on a Mac computer, not my PC that kept on chitting the bed the other day. Well, like I've been saying, I, I'm so sick of the technical difficult. It seems like every podcast we do now, there's something going on. Yeah. Um, but getting back to like the story, have you been hearing what I've been saying? Oh yeah, the entire time. <laughs> okay, well then that uh, good because I don't want to have to repeat anything. Although I probably <laughs> sort of forgot a couple things while I was. I have because stuff, so. <laughs> everything like I did forget sort of my train of thought, um, but I do have some criticisms, maybe even some nitpicks about the story. I'm not sure if I want to get to those just yet necessarily, but I love the fact that. This movie, I think, does a better job of capturing the horrors of post-war Japan than 54. Now, again, granted, I understand that this is almost immediately after World War II, whereas 54 was nine years uh, after World War II. So it's Mm -hmm. different. But the point of the two movies is exactly the same. It's about the horrors of war. And one could, I think, successfully argue, too, that in 54, Godzilla was an allegory for the bombs. Here, Godzilla is just a continuation of the bombs because even though, in, yes, in he's created – what's that? In the wars as well. Yeah, and he's still maybe an allegory for that, but I would argue he's just a continuation of what they went through yeah. in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, and the other thing I would say pretty much the entire theme – of the film, and I think it's sort of uh, kept it going, sort of throughout the entire film. They kind of sprinkle it out is that not only that sometimes you uh, have things that you need to finish, but also to live, you know, for the future and everything. That's so, that was sort of the theme uh, throughout. No matter, like you're sort of like you survive for a certain purpose or to, you know, live for others, you know, your friends and family to survive and to have a better life and future. I, and what I'm about to say, definitely I can put in a nutshell. I would say the themes of this movie are war is hell and that Mm. it's effects, uh, especially of a major war, like a world war two, its effects are felt ongoing because in many ways there's still large chunks of who we are as the United States, even the Soviet Union, Germany, other European countries, even Japan. They are what they are today because of what happened Mm -hmm. during that war. And Godzilla in my opinion, in this film is an extension of that. And I think it's done intentionally to have his atomic breath have this force to where it's like an atomic blast because every time 
he blasts it on something, it's a mushroom cloud effect. Yeah, so the one thing I want to talk about is his atomic ray. And I would have to say throughout the entire Godzilla franchise, including all the films here made in America and uh, obviously Toho, out of all those films, I would have to say that his atomic ray in this movie is probably the, I would say, light years ahead, the most effective and most destructive atomic ray that we've ever witness of the entire franchise yeah and that's done like i said i think intentionally too it's it's almost like especially when he he uses it on mainland japan which i think actually is only the one time when he attacks uh, the ginza district mm-hmm. um it's almost as if japan is getting hit with another atomic bomb and i think that's kind of what that's supposed to imply that Godzilla is this walking atomic bomb Mm -hmm. Um, and oh my gosh like that whole um, technical thing like really threw my train of thought off because I I had this whole idea (laughs) it sort of threw me off too yeah because I had an idea of how I was going to transition through all of this um but I love the human story here. This, I think, is the most touching human story I've ever seen in a Godzilla it's, film. It's a, it's a pretty tearjerker. <laughs> I think you it can is. probably agree with me on that one. It is. The thing. The parts that got me the most were uh, when Akiko, the two times, cried. Because as a parent, I kind of know what that's about, like, you know that you know you have this kid who doesn't understand what's going on with like like my wife will go on conferences and when my kids were real young they would cry because mom is gone they don't see mom you know and then like my daughter still i am told that when they go and visit uh extended family in wisconsin that my daughter still cries uh, sometimes when they go off and i stay here at home to relax and play with the cats and all that um and that those moments when Akiko cried like really got me and it's just like as that it like as a parent that just like that hit me and do I think it's the best told human story in the Godzilla franchise I think it's darn close I still think the anime trilogy does an overall better job of telling character more complete character stories and character arcs and i'm not saying there are no character arcs here there are i just think really getting to know the characters who they are really get to know who they are it's darn close to being near perfect here Mm -hmm. here's one of the criticisms i have of this film koichi i think by and large we get a very good idea of who he is Noriko, I still there's still some things about her I'm a little unclear of. I I know shortly after they meet, she kind of tells a little bit of her backstory that she's not married. Her family got burned in the air raids. This dying mother gave her Akiko, and here she is. Um. Otherwise. 
there isn't a whole lot to her character. Yeah, I would have. It would have been better because it's it felt like she was sort of dropped in there a little bit and sort of kind of forced in a way. But I would say at the same time, she kind of naturally fit in a little bit. But it would have been a little bit better if maybe she was like a a, a close friend to uh, Shikishima uh, here. Um, I think that would have been yeah. a little bit better. You could tell both their stories almost simultaneously in that regard. I yeah. almost think now that I'm sitting here and we're discussing it, I almost wonder if her purpose, other than to serve as a quote-unquote love interest in this film, I almost think her purpose more than anything else was to help draw out Koichi's like PTSD of what happened on Odo Island and to ultimately push him at the end of the movie to get more involved with the attack on Godzilla because it's it may be possible that if she hadn't come into his life and then you know everything else happened it's debatable i think as to whether or not maybe he would have gotten involved at the end there still is the possibility because he still care he would still carry that guilt of what happened on odo but would he be as motivated i feel like noriko was that other individual that really just kind of added the extra oomph to push him to get more involved in that final confrontation. So again, it's debatable. Um, I still would have loved to have learned a little bit more about Noda, Kid, and Captain. All we know is that Noda developed weapons for the Navy. Kid was so young that he just didn't serve in the war, but yet he wants to defend his country and captain he served but i guess he was in the navy too um we're never i i never thought even after two viewings that there was really a clear understanding as to how like his exact involvement i got the impression he was involved with the navy yeah but i'm not um, totally sure on that and so what capacity uh Talk, uh, I was looking at uh, Tachibana here. Uh, as far as Captain's name, it was uh, was it Akitsu. Kenji Akitsu? Okay. Yeah, I was uh, calling him Captain to make it easy. Yeah, it just it just says uh, Shinsei Maru's uh, Captain, which is that. Well, yeah, for the know. movie. But I'm yeah. I'm wondering about like just his story, like right up to the point we meet him in the film. Yeah, but um, the one. Th- one thing I want to touch upon uh, was that uh, Yuki Yamada, who's um, the kid, uh, nicknamed Kid, I I really recognize his uh, face right off the bat because it's like I could have sworn I've seen him in other uh, Japanese live action dramas uh, before in the past. And I was correct because uh, there were times in the past uh, during uh, the early days of Crunchyroll where they had live action uh, TV dramas of some notable uh, anime or manga adaptations such as uh, GTO and then this uh, mischievous kiss love in Tokyo 
uh, live action ad- adaptations where he played uh, either as a lead role or a supporting role for some of those TV shows. And he he also appeared in um, uh, some uh, Sentai shows and as well as a, um, I think, one, at least one common Rider uh, TV show, which was Common Rider X Super Sentai. So he's he's been involved in a lot of the Sentai and Tokusatsu and some of the uh, other manga slash anime uh, TV adaptation uh, drama shows. So that's that's where I uh, recognize that face anywhere. <laughs> yeah, to me it looked familiar, but I could nothing you said there made me like no like <laughs> like i i don't i don't i haven't seen him in any of that stuff just because i haven't watched that stuff yeah maybe maybe but, one of these uh times that, uh when we're off and you can maybe take a look at his uh bio as far as the list of uh projects that he's been and he maybe recognize some of the names of the shows or movies yeah and while we're sort of on th- the um topic of criticisms that i have for the story anyways um yes i guess that's fine Thank you. make sure you feed the cats in 20 we will. sorry <laughs> again having young kids um <laughs> so another criticism i have oh fuck what was the criticism um i, I know the one I know the one thing that you mentioned oh, no. about was um, uh, the Godzilla suites or scores. They were they were actually uh, I want to wait until we get to scores or the oh, music. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm talking about just the story. Um, okay. I thought the movie in a couple of spots was pretty predictable. Granted, it's like I guess if you see enough movies there are fewer and fewer films that are going to surprise you. But I sort of knew like even before Tachibana had this moment where Koichi's in the cockpit of the aircraft and tells him there's one more thing. I sort of knew Koichi was not going to commit kamikaze. And when Tachibana said there's one more thing and I'm like, Oh, he's going to show him the ejection lever. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when they, when he was showing the things in that uh, test uh, airplane that was never used in the war, and they were kind of showing, um, oh, what's what's the specific name for different uh, shots? Kind of uh, showing montage. Carrier. Like they were showing uh, certain montages of when they were kind of preparing the plane and then kind of towards the end where uh, Shikishima was in the cockpit and uh, Tachibana was kind of showing certain things and when towards the end of the montage they were zooming out or they were zoomed out showing the entire plane with those two at the top kind of near the cockpit kind of away and didn't hear any dialogue or anything. You kind of sh- sh- see Tachibana kind of pointing something towards the back left side there. And he was, again, with the dumb AI stuff, um, where he was kind of see, where he was kind of uh, looking at uh, that specific 
area earlier when he was seeing the plane for the very first time. And later on, you get to see the reason behind uh, Shikishima just staying alive. It was like, yeah, we... <laughs> That was that was the same exact shot of what he was talking about. So that was that was sort of the predictable thing yeah. when you notice that. And my other criticism, and I this to me they go kind of hand in hand with one scene and then with the film as a whole. And that is this film I think pulls its punches just a little bit at points. The reason why I say that is that initially I did think they killed Noriko because I thought that was kind of what this film was going to do. It was going to show you hell. It was going to show you the horrors of war, but then the extension of that with Godzilla and and the chaos he created. And for a bit, I thought um, they we're going to kill that they did kill Noriko. That's what I initially thought too. And, and I thought, okay, like this is kind of in, in keeping with the theme of the film and with its tone, this is a darker Godzilla movie that Toho has made. But then towards the, almost the end part of the film before the um, final confrontation of Godzilla, when Sumiko the neighbor gal who ends up taking care of Akiko much of the time during the day, she gets this telegram and I knew immediately Mm -hmm. when that moment came up, I immediately thought to myself, Noriko is actually alive. Yeah. That was the same exact reaction that I got. And I have mixed feelings about that. One thing is that I, am sort of a sucker for happy endings I get that and there's a part of me that's happy to see her alive but number two I've also become more cynical as I've gotten older and there's a part of me that's like no you can't do that like this is what you did earlier you can't just pull this sort of thing with what she went through she I mean, there could be other survivors of that blast, but I don't know. I'm assuming everyone else died, but if everyone else died, how come she survived? And number three, more importantly, the biggest criticism I have for her being alive is that it takes away a little bit of the emotional power that this movie had throughout most of it, which was – the whole war is hell and no one's safe from war and it's after effects, all that. And I really thought it powered Koichi's character through from the, because that scene when, you know, Godzilla blows up, you know, the tanks and, and the Capitol and every, you know, people are blown away and crap. And then he's out there in the streets screaming and that, goopy dirty rain is coming down on him that to me was also another well done very powerful very emotionally triggering scene that just adds fuel to his fire to get revenge and to be determined to somehow stop godzilla 
and yes, he finds out about her after he's taken care of Godzilla, but it still kills kind of the power and and just the rawness that this movie really wanted to put forward. So I'm conflicted on it. The sappy part of me likes it, but at the same time, it's kind of cliched. The, the cynical part of me is like, yeah, but you can't do that because of probably everyone else there died, but how did she survive? And no, that's BS. But again, I, the, it really, I think, hurts emotionally what this film wanted to bring. And that just – that's what this movie did I think so much better than any other Godzilla movie, which is to bring you more of the raw human emotion and to show it in the dark way. It's not so dark that it puts you in a dark headspace, but it's dark in that you feel for the characters. Mm-hmm. You cry for them. You cry with them. And to do something like that, it's a cheat. I think it's sort of a kick in the nuts to the audience a little bit because it just it it's a cheat. And part of me though too I think has been um contaminated by I took a fiction writing course in community college. I had a professor who probably not even alive anymore, but I thought he was kind of a jerk anyway. Um, I didn't like uh, some of his criticisms because I thought he was uh, kind of an ass who didn't know some of the things he was talking about. And then some of my peers were sort of those snotty writer types that were like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, with the character in this situation, they would not be doing this. And I'm just, you know, shoved up your ass, (laughs) you know, was kind of my whole thing on that. Um, you know those those kind of people, and then I've listened to a number of um, general movie review podcasts, and I've been listening to some of those for years, over a decade, of people who went to um, film school, mm-hmm. and they talk about writing and character work and all that fun stuff too. And I think some of the crap from my writing class, and then listening to some of these podcasts, has rubbed off to me, and now it's hard for me, I guess, to be willfully ignorant of, of yeah. critiquing a film whereas i part of me is like i wish i could just sit here numb-minded and just go i like but then part of me is like wait a minute like I'm, like my brain is churning like what in the world because like 13 year old me would be like that was great yeah. <laughs> you know i like this and that <laughs> now i'm like okay like i kind of like it but this is a cheat and this is not cool. And <laughs> well, it's a movie. What can you do? <laughs> I know. I, I mean, it, you know, it's. I'm not gonna hold the the thing. I'm gonna hold against the story is. I wish some of the um, other characters in the film were done a little bit better in terms of having slightly deeper stories. Um, I wished that. If they were that Noriko stayed dead, and um, oh, crap, I'm forgetting stuff again. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that they maybe originally that they were probably going to keep her dead in this, but then they probably had test screenings 
afterwards and maybe as far as the score whether if it was um high or low probably low maybe in certain areas they were probably thinking like maybe some of the higher ups that were uh reviewing this film and stuff during the post-production phase that they were probably saying it's a little bit too dark maybe try to you know try to uh, add in a couple of things here, Possibly, and, yes. here and there to you know uh, try to make it not as dark and maybe improve on this thing here, so on and so forth. That could be one of the uh, the reasons why that uh, they sort of made her uh, made uh, Noriko inevitably be alive right at the end of the film. Yeah, and the next thing I have, and this is a nitpick, I'm not really going to criticize, I'm not going to hold this against the film, but my nitpick is that I actually would have liked to have had a little bit more Godzilla in this film. Um, You know, we get the Godzilla sore thing, we get the boat scene, which was good, but I thought was a little short. The Ginza scene, surprising, I mean, it was fantastic, don't get me wrong, but I thought even that was a little bit short. And then we don't get any Godzilla again until the very end. And then he's on land, but he doesn't destroy a whole lot. I really thought there was one more like big city destruction thing yeah, except, before the final confrontation. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, the only the only destruction that he only does is you know throw the throw that one boat onto land, which destroys a you know which destroys the building. And then when he gets on land, he maybe destroys. A couple of uh, barn houses here and there. That was essentially it. Yeah, I I was a little disappointed by that because, like I said, I, I thought the Ginza thing was like a warm-up destruction scene and that later we were going to have sort of a repeat of like what 54 had where you get the big – you know, sequence of him going through Tokyo and causing massive or, damage. Or maybe some other city besides Tokyo. Yeah, and that didn't happen, and that disappointed me. But I almost wonder, because this was a $15 million budget, if budget may have had something to do with that. Um, it's possible. I'm not sure. Like I said, to me, it's a nitpick. I'm not really going to hold it against the movie. Uh, in my final thought, but it just was something I was a little disappointed in. Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. a little bit more Godzilla and a longer extended um, destruction sequence. Yeah, I was I was a, a little bit that way, but with uh, the human characters, you know, focusing on Godzilla and everything, it's just like some of those other movies of the past say, you know, when they're talking about a certain thing, it's still sort of stuck in your mind throughout the entire uh, viewing of the film there. And that certainly fits it pretty well in here, uh, too, where you're still thinking of Godzilla when they, you know, discuss, you know, some of the traumas and also trying to figure out ways and how to kill Godzilla, you know, where they're at this uh, countermeasure HQ trying to uh, com- uh, conspiring a, a plan to defeat Godzilla with 
those tanks and as well as the floats and everything. And then you have Shikishima just sort of going behind the scenes, kind of devising his own plan in case if both those plans uh, initially failed where he has a bomb uh, baked into that plane and he would, uh, you know, uh, sunset pretty much at that point. And one thing I really want to say that I think is very is an important point that I want to make on this film is that I think I, I think in a similar fashion to the anime trilogy, but for I think really the first time in live action Godzilla films, this isn't a Godzilla film per se. It's not about the monster. Um, I'm sorry, folks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, this film is not really about Godzilla per se. It's not like a Godzilla versus Gigan where it's ultimately like, will Godzilla stop Gigan to save the planet? This is a human story about tragedy, massive loss. It's a story about dealing with the after effects of war. And and the that, other thing is survival. Well, yeah. Yeah, surviving and yeah. Um, Godzilla is just an extension of World War II here. He is a walking atomic bomb that occasionally not just through his physical destruction uh, of stomping through places and causing havoc, but more specifically with his atomic ray causing like multiple added atomic drop, atomic bombs dropping on Japan. And that's something that maybe I would, if it wasn't done so well here, if uh, Yamazaki's storytelling and the other writers who were involved with this did not do such an incredible job of incorporating Godzilla flawlessly in this story, this could have easily turned out to be something like Shin Godzilla, where Godzilla is nothing but a tool. And I understand Shin Godzilla was trying to do something it, – it was trying to commentate on something different. But the thing is is that the story they were wanting to tell put Godzilla in a position that it didn't matter. They could have had the mm -hmm. best storytellers, and I don't think anyone would have been able to successfully incorporate Godzilla as irreplaceable. Right. You could replace Godzilla in that movie with just about anything else, and you could tell the same story. Here, because it is basically going exactly right back to Godzilla's origins as to his own story originally, how he was created and all that. That's what he is. That's how what he was in 54. Mm -hmm. Godzilla was – Again, the allegory thing. Yeah, I'm I'm convincing myself that yes, he is an allegory now. <laughs> he is. <laughs> he's he's always been an allegory for this entire time. So. Yeah, he's a walking atomic bomb who yeah. was a product 
of atomic bombs. Mm-hmm. Shin Godzilla is just a Godzilla. You could replace that Godzilla with either a different kaiju. You could replace it with a natural disaster of some maybe, sort. Like, maybe Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, a walking Dr. Pepper can. I mean, the yeah. official sponsor, Godzilla 1985. Um, <laughs> so, like, it, it, it is the human condition, I think, is on full display here post-war not just world war ii but any war yeah war again is hell yeah and and that's what this movie captures so and one of the lines done by captain to kid the night before they're getting ready to execute that final plan he tells kid who's like take me with you i want to defend my country too captain says there's something to be proud of of not having gone to war yeah and in my head i'm like thank you because a lot of movies in the west here in the united states and that's changed a little bit maybe in the last 15 20 years but definitely like in the 80s and going back further in a lot of u.s cinema it was always like yeah you go to war that's you know that's how you become a man you know that's where you're forged you know that's how you become the master of disaster you know that sort of thing and i just as i've gotten older i'm like oh my god like there's nothing spectacular about it you're getting ptsd you're seeing your friends die etc and now it's changing and i think that's a great thing yeah and and the one thing about um where you can definitely tell um the viewpoints of a lot of the characters that are in this movie you know from the very beginning when the film started that they still had that mindset of the war and everything uh and have honor as far as um you know you're a kamikaze pilot and you kind of know what's going to happen, you know, on your mission and everything where, and, uh, where the main character is like, he decided not to do it and he wanted to live, you know, cause he, uh, promised, I think his family that, uh, he was going to come back home. Well, he did, but then he finds out, uh, his family is no longer alive and, uh, the neighbor of his uh, uh, Sumiko, where she was kind of disappointed in him. You know, you're what's what's the point of you know uh, serving your country and all that stuff. But then, eventually, as the story progresses, that a lot of them have changed their viewpoint of honor but then with pride and surviving and being there for what your it means family to be and a hero or a warrior that and being there for your family and friends and to survive or live to live another day or for the future yeah, I mean it's it's sprinkled all throughout the movie. Like Noriko gives a brief speech when he tells her that he's going to be a minesweeper. Um, uh, Captain a couple times mm-hmm. gets after Koichi about 
doing a kamikaze mission against Godzilla. Um, Noda, um, when he's talking to the group of soldiers, when one of the Geiger counters on the buoys goes off, um, basically you can tell he's kind of like, screw it. No, I'm going to say no one's going to die on this. And he gives this interesting speech of like this country has never cared or valued life because there's been poor armor on the tanks, no, no ejection seats in the planes, poor supply chains where – people are dying of disease and starvation like and then tachibana himself who you know earlier in the film is pissed at koichi for not only not firing his guns at the godzilla sore but for also not doing his duty as a kamikaze pilot tachibana himself even uh, in the process of uh, putting that plane together has a change of heart and we even see him at the end where it's been confirmed that koichi did eject his seat koichi has a, a scene where he's you know listening to a radio cast of what's going on and he's happy that koichi ejected and mm-hmm. survived and um that's yeah again I, you're on to something there too where it's not just about talking about loss and how to navigate that and that war is hell but that there's value in life as mm-hmm. well um and that even though godzilla is a life that they killed and we know why because he was you know destroying their homes which is sort of ironic when you think about mm-hmm. it but at the same time they give him that salute too so it's like a, a respect that they have for the creature that they kind of had to kill him in order for them to live but at the same right. time godzilla going back to the allegory thing is an extension of the war and was continuing to cause hell to a country that uh, right at the tail end was just devastated after those blasts and the air raids. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of layers to this. We've spent a lot of time on, we blended in some character stuff in there as well, but yeah. Um, since since we've kind of pretty much took care of the story and I probably would say the characters as well, why don't we talk about um, the visual effects um, for this film? I would say um, light years ahead, I'd say it's far better compared to uh, Shin Godzilla, where Toho, that was the first film Toho actually did a Godzilla just using a uh, computer um, or CGI for that matter, instead of the traditional pseudimation. And with minus one being the second film of doing a CGI Godzilla here, you can definitely tell out of six to seven years of how improved they've come so far when it comes to using full-on CGI, you know, for building destruction, uh, Godzilla, and some of the other things. Of it's far improved in the last six to seven years. Although yes. I, I probably would say my only uh, nitpick is during the kind of that nightmare scene with uh, Shikishima and he kind of goes out and then sees uh, the, the Godzilla source. It felt like in, in that certain shot in that nightmare scene where it felt like uh, 
they could have polished that Godzilla source a little bit more, but other than that, it's far, uh, far, far, far better um, improved as far as CGI goes. Yeah, I mean, definitely the effects work has improved since Shin Godzilla. Uh, I would say the best where the effects work comes in and shines is uh, in like water splashing scenes, uh, the destruction scenes, <laughs> some of the landscapes, etc. Godzilla himself looks good, really good. Mm-hmm. They still, though, haven't quite totally mastered movement. Some of the movement was good, but when you got Godzilla doing full body movement in certain poses, it's some of it still felt a little off. Some of it still felt maybe a bit faster than it should. Some of it looked like maybe he was physically contorted in a way that he shouldn't exactly have been. But yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about as far as when he's uh, powering up and then unleashing the atomic ray. That felt. That's probably my other little nitpick is when he blasts the atomic ray, just that sheer movement there. It felt a little bit unnatural to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because I know I thought was way too fast for a creature that size. Yeah. Because I know there, I've seen some people made some comments on that when they were showing some previews of that exact shot. Um, before the movie came out where some people made some comments of that that part where he unleashes the atomic ray felt a little bit unnatural as far as the movement goes. Yeah, and, and there were just in general some other things that were a tad herky-jerky. But yeah, like you, to me, it's a nitpick. It's, it's nothing that I'm going to condemn the movie for but right. yeah it's it, uh, again it's an improvement there's still a little bit of work that needs to be done but again it, it could be budget issues again if maybe this thing had an extra 20 million let's say maybe some of that if not all of it could have been fixed so mm-hmm. yeah i mean um yeah i still think it needs to be brought to the forefront yeah but otherwise no, no doubt yeah Otherwise, though, I really dig the effects. I want to say, too, kind of going with the effects work here, I love the the, the design of this Godzilla. Mm-hmm. It has quickly become one of my favorites. I'm not quite sure if it is my favorite, but it is up there. Yeah. And one of the things I loved the most, and it, this is a tiny detail, one of the things I loved an awful lot about what they did here with this Godzilla was that they kept – the piece of his cheek, the same healing color after it, that side of his face got blown off earlier in the film. It They mm-hmm. always kept it. It's always there. And little details like that tend to get lost usually. And a lot of times, yeah, you'll notice it. For me, it's like, eh, it's fine unless it's a major thing. Like if an arm is cut off and then the next scene he has it, that to me is a major problem. But yeah. if like there's a scratch <laughs> and then the next scene it's gone, I'm like, yeah, it should be there, but I'm not going to worry about it. They kept like the healing part of that cheek, the fact mm-hmm. that it's a slightly different color there the whole time after that initial blowing up. Yeah, and- yeah maybe, maybe still healing a little bit, but I also kind of liked how they you know, do that G-cell fast regeneration. Like it really regenerates. Yeah. 
quite as fast compared to those in the past and everything, but like I would argue it's a tad hit. slower, but we actually see it happening this time. Like in action this time, yeah. You know, like when they detonate that um, uh, mine in his mouth and everything, where it's like part of his face is taken out from that explosions. Like you can see all the details of that regeneration from his cheekbones to his eyes and like teeth and everything. <laughs> and what I like too about this particular version of Godzilla is that to a certain degree, he can be hurt by conventional weapons because we see in some uh, scenes like parts of them kind of get blown into a bit, but yeah, mm-hmm. it takes a moment to heal. Um, I think he was still, when he was attacking them on that minesweeper vessel, that he was still um, becoming the full-fledged Godzilla because it seemed like when he attacked Ginza, when those uh, tanks were coming at him, it seemed like he handled their fire a little bit better, which leads me Mm -hmm. to believe maybe he still was in the process of mutating still perhaps. I'm not sure. Either that or it could be a whoopsie. I'm not sure. But um, yeah. Nevertheless, it seemed like this Godzilla to some degree can be hurt by conventional weaponry, but you see the healing. And I kind of yeah. like that. And the the other thing is um, his howl in a way, although it's sort of, well, it kind of harkens back to the original 1954 because you hear, you know, the familiar howl in there. But uh, just how that was, that was... Uh, remastered much more cleaned up and also they added on more to that familiar godzilla uh howl Mm -hmm. there to where it's it's sort of like almost an original and part of the movie where we've you know heck we talked about this the other day during shin ultraman where we were kind of talking as far as completely uh like both that movie and Shin Godzilla where they just took the original tracks from a, from like uh, an archive from Toho and just stuck it in there not either remastering or recreating um even the soundtrack howl like and yeah specific howl or sound effects they with this film they not only uh remastered the uh, familiar Godzilla howl, but they also recreated and added on to that uh, howl here. And that's the thing that I like is, you know, at least good pandering in a way, sort of kind of braiding some of those familiar things, but then at least remastering it or adding on more to it. Yeah, and like the Shin Godzilla soundtrack, with the exception of like only a couple tracks, the entire soundtrack is nothing but a rehash of previous films. Some of the um, – oh, what was Anno's um, popular anime? Oh, uh, Evangelion. Yeah, Evangelion. There was some uh, repeat of Evangelion music. There was repeat of different Godzilla and Toho uh, films. There was even music from like Godzilla versus Mega Godzilla Two. There was music from I think Battle in Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Some of the music wasn't even actually played in the film. 
And it made me despise that film even more because I'm like, okay, it's bad enough. You're just recycling sound, uh, sound effects. Mm-hmm. You're recycling soundtracks. This yeah. is bad and lazy filmmaking. Yeah. And why don't we just kind of easily transition into uh, the soundtrack? Yeah, I wanted to do that for, yeah. for this. And I I actually listened to a, a, a Godzilla Minus One soundtrack on Spotify yesterday. And just from the overall, um, my overall opinion about it is that it felt more Hollywood esque. Uh, this time around where it kind of had that (laughs) i would say it's a good thing uh it it made it like the um the scores were a bit more deeper but it had that hollywood-esque type of feel to it it felt a little bit more epic in a way but also it had that uh ambiance um type of vibe uh to the soundtracks um, as well but then also it was sort of nice this is probably this is my uh critique on it is that they had not only one uh godzilla suite or theme to it but they had three of them although they are different sort of different versions of the godzilla score however the way that they sort of put them in the movie it just sort of felt out of place, especially when they inserted one into the the Ginza attack there, and then maybe uh, um, t- towards the end, I would say, in my opinion, it was sort of overkill the way that they added the score to there. For me, in my opinion, the, probably the best way to have had it is when at the very end, when you saw the Godzilla corpse. That's probably the best way to use the Godzilla score instead of just in random areas the way it felt like. I was waiting until we talked about the the music and this is my final um, like criticism of the film was how they did the music for Ginza. Um, <clears throat> let me let me just say this. Let me just say this. Okay. I again I've seen this movie twice. I saw it Friday and I saw it last night. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I saw it twice because I sort of have a slightly different uh, take on on a few things with the music. One of my bigger criticisms that I will hold against the movie a little bit was the choice of using the typical Ifukube Godzilla theme during the Ginza attack. I know why they did it because that's the more popular well-known Godzilla theme. Right. And they probably thought too fans would like this. So it's a pandering moment. I hate to say that because I really do like this film. Um, Here's the thing. I thought the choice of using the Godzilla theme for the Ginza attack was I don't want to say inappropriate. I would say it's out of place. It definitely was out of place and it was I will it was the wrong choice. Because here's the thing. Ifuku Bay's Godzilla theme, and I don't know about everyone else, but I, I I'm gonna go out on a ledge and say that what I'm about to say, most people are gonna feel about it the same way that I do. When you hear that Ifuku Bay Godzilla theme, you probably feel awe. 
majesty and power with that. That's all well and good, except for a movie like this that is trying to be very serious about the story and themes it's trying to tell. I don't think it captures the horror slash terror of what Godzilla is doing and what the people are going through. Mm -hmm. It puts, I think, very unfortunately, a slightly lighter tone on all the chaos that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, because if when I was listening to the soundtrack yesterday with sort of the, the ambiance and the suspense type of feel that uh, all the other tracks had, although the Godzilla scores in here were also recreated by, I forget I forget the name of, of the person Naoki who, Sato is this yeah Naoki uh, Sato who composed the film he he also recreated uh, the Godzilla the three Godzilla suites in here as well and it sounds almost to the T of uh, um, Akira Fukube's um, actual Godzilla scores and everything but yeah it just uh, those three Godzilla scores just felt sort of out of place compared to the rest of the scores that were uh, ambiance and uh, suspense and Hollywood-esque type of feel to it. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just thought it was a wrong decision to make. And after seeing the movie twice, I still think it was the worst musical decision that they made in this film. I initially, after I saw the movie on Friday night, the first time, I also thought it was out of place during the final confrontation. After mm. seeing it a second time, I thought it worked a little bit better. Um, I thought maybe it was a tad more appropriate because it's. I started thinking, okay, like it's actually more about feeling the energy and the power of the of the soldiers trying to defeat Godzilla. Like I'm like, okay, I kind of like this a little bit more than I did last night. I still maybe would have changed that a little bit, but I thought it fit a little bit better in the final confrontation. I don't think it worked well in the Ginza scene. Yeah. And then yeah, like you said, it definitely works obviously with Godzilla regenerating at the end. Oh, and mm -hmm. that's another criticism I have. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to hold it against the film though. The whole Godzilla regenerating thing I think should have been left out uh, because they have done it before where they didn't show like Godzilla alive. Obviously, they didn't do it in 54, but at the time, they didn't know a sequel was going to be made. But they also – off the top of my head, I know they didn't do it at the end of the return of Godzilla. There was nothing to show that he was alive in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form after falling into that volcano. Um, but yeah. I understand Toho – has this obsession with saying that Godzilla can never die. Like that was one of the things that they, I remember, you know, in all these stories, when it comes to this tri-star Godzilla, it's like, okay, well, there are like four things about Godzilla that you need to incorporate. And one of them was that he can't die. And it's like, that's fine, but you've done it before in a couple of other movies. Why can't you just leave it alone? Like, I would I would just say for the reason of sort of the trend of nowadays where they sort of 
leave things out in the open in case if there's going to be a sequel. And like what we were discussing earlier, if this could potentially be the first step towards the world of Godzilla cinematic universe. And I mentioned it, but as far as uh, August Ragone's um, answer on that, and I sort of had the feeling that this could be a possible stepping stone towards towards that and that ending sort of confirms it perhaps not we may never know uh, until maybe a couple or so years uh, down the road if they're gonna uh, possibly do more and tie in those potential future movies with minus one uh, here so I, the more I think about it, the more I think they won't, simply because this in many ways um, was a retelling of 54, and this one I think they're going to leave as standalone. And I think they should have not even inserted that final shot. And again, I think that was put in maybe because Toho now w- wants you to incorporate that rule now maybe – in their mm-hmm. films, um, either that or they played it to the fans, <coughs> mm-hmm. uh, saying that aha, he didn't actually die, or just just like the lore, what you mentioned that Godzilla can never die. That's what I'm aspect. saying. Toho yeah. wants you now to have something like that in the film yeah. to be like, yeah, he was defeated, but he actually didn't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish that was left out, to be perfectly honest, because I think again. Like if they had kept uh, Noriko dead, it would have impacted and made the film even better. And it's already a stellar film as it is, but mm-hmm. I still think it could even be even better. Just even making a couple of those changes like that, I think, could significantly even make this thing like, like that Vince McMahon yeah. you see on the internet, like, the main, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that. Um, the overall soundtrack, I own the soundtrack, but I have yet to listen to it, and that's going to be one of the things I'm going to do. For yeah, me. it's it's just – it would just take just under an hour of your time, and I think it's definitely worth it. Yeah, and I just uh, – I'm looking forward to that because I know through the trailers and now I haven't seen the movie. Um, I like what this composer did, like the very haunting music that mm-hmm. he has in this film. It's – yeah, suspense and it's, it's, and kind of that <laughs> ambiance and Hollywood esque uh, to it really fits. I would definitely fits the film. Oh, one quick comment I forgot to make when we did uh, special effects talk. I love the fact that when Godzilla shoots his atomic ray, it actually damages him a little bit. I just want that to say. that and also damages like the buildings and stuff around when he unleashes the atomic raid during that uh, Ginza attack too. Yeah. That was I forgot sweet. to mention that. But <laughs> yeah, this this soundtrack, at least the way I have um, listened to it through the film itself, um, I like it an awful lot. Um, it, it, I mean, Naoki Sato did an incredible job here. I... It's it's very good. I just I, I can't say it enough. I like it. And I'm really yeah, looking forward to having deeper uh, thoughts about it when I actually sit down and listen to it. Yeah, it, it it's like 
a much more involved kind of gets away from your usual Godzilla or Kaiju score where it felt feels like it would feel a little bit uh, hokey maybe and not quite as deep toned compared to a lot of the other uh, Hollywood uh, film scores and that where this time around it feels fair very professionalized and that Hollywood style type of film score that you would hear from a lot of the movies nowadays. And I'm going to say something that I think some fans are going to find very controversial. I don't want to hear any more Ifuku Bay music in any future Godzilla films. Maybe, maybe that, just, that, maybe just, maybe some subtle tones but so, maybe make it um a bit better in a way maybe kind of like uh bear mcquarrie's i think that's McCreary. bear McCary. uh yeah his he kind of did his rendition of it made things a little bit different in a way but yeah like in king of the monsters yeah like mm-hmm. if if you did something like that i don't have really a problem with it mm-hmm. but i'm talking about actually using his stuff I'm not saying I dislike his. I'm not saying that at all. I love Maestro Ifukube. I adore his soundtracks. I in uh, adore his scores. I love what he did for the kaiju genre as a whole when he was alive and composing music for all those films he did. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me here. Mm. But here's the thing: even when he was alive, you know they would get a different. A maestro like Masaru Sato to score other Godzilla films, for example. Nowhere in those films do you hear Ifukube-style music. Did it with Return of Godzilla. No Ifukube. And then again, like Space Godzilla with Takeyuki Hattori and other Godzilla films. Even Michiro Ushima, which seems to be a bigger fan favorite than I had thought. A lot of people like her music and her theme. <clears throat> and there's no Ifukube music present there. Not even a hint of it. Mm-hmm. And so why is it that there's this obsession, other than to pander to audiences, why is there this obsession to at least have that Ifukube Godzilla theme in there? Let music artists do what they wish. Mm-hmm. If they want to have a different theme, so be it. I think, for example, in the Dark Knight trilogy, the Batman theme that Hans Zimmer puts together for that trilogy, magnificent. And and the same goes for the Man of Steel. His rendition, I really like too. Yeah. Then, like when you had Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, Elliot Goldenthal, I think, was the composer for those two films. He had his own version of mm-hmm. what the Batman theme for those two movies was. Let the maestros put their own touch on it because mm-hmm. I know Ifuku Bay was a really good composer, no question about it. And he really he casts a big shadow over the kaiju genre. And I understand yeah. that and, and appreciate as as that music and know goes, why. Yeah. But his music is his own. Mm-hmm. I think it's disrespectful to someone like Naoki Sato, for example, to basically maybe come in and say you have to use an Ifuku Bay track or two here. I don't know if that's what happened. If he himself said, 
I want to use it, then that's different. Mm-hmm. But I want to leave that stuff alone. I want to leave it alone because I not only want these composers to put their own spin on Godzilla because I think we're missing out on some potentially good, different themes mm-hmm. for this character. But Ifuku Bay's music was unique. It was tailored to not just the types of kaiju movies he was doing, but it was tailored to a particular time as well. Right, yeah. If it was a Godzilla superhero type of film, like Monster Zero, for example, the music reflected that. Mm-hmm. Plus, that film was produced in 1965. It's going to have a bit of a 60s flair to it as well. This movie, I don't think, warrants the use of anyone else's music other than Naoki Sato's. Mm-hmm. I just would like this music of Ifuku Base to sort of be put to rest. Yeah. And and unless other maestros come in and say, look, I want to put it in, then so be it. Okay. And again, I, I'm not, I don't, Ifuku Bay, it's, it's sort of like how um, some sports athletes want to end their career with a championship. Okay, some of them stick around and retire X amount of seasons after having won a championship so they don't end out on top. Some people think that that could tarnish their legacy just a little bit because they didn't go out on top with winning a championship. Mm-hmm. To me, continuing to use Ifuku Bay's Godzilla theme in movies that he himself is not composing because he's obviously gone, I think actually hurts his legacy just a little bit from a musical standpoint Mm -hmm. i think it's there to be nothing more than to placate to godzilla fans yeah and i would like maestros to put their own spin create their own theme because i do think we are missing out on some potentially awesome new themes for godzilla Shima did her own and yeah. you know, people love her work. Why and won't they do that with these other composers? Yeah, and Sato, in my opinion here, did a phenomenal job with how he composed uh, his music into this film. And yeah, missing out a great opportunity for something a bit uh, different this time when it comes to a, a new suite for Godzilla, much more updated version. Yeah. And when I do think about this film, any music that I incorporate in my mind, hey, thank you, thumbs up. Um, <laughs> uh, it is his version of the theme music to this film. Whether or not it's considered as Godzilla theme or not, I'm not sure because, again, I haven't actually listened to the soundtrack on its own. But um, I just want that to be done because I, I – I love it again I don't want people to misunderstand me and know in this fan base there will be people that don't care and say I'm not a true whatever bullshit um, <laughs> you know if that's the case then up yours but like let Ifuku Bay's music stay with his films I do love the guy I love the work he did I love that stuff 
legend, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But let current maestros do their own work. It's their film, their job. Be respectful. Let them do their own twist on a Godzilla theme. Ifuku Bay's music built for different types of kaiju films in different times. Mm-hmm. Let's leave it there. <laughs> and then, you know, let's leave Ifuku Bay with Ifuku Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Other, otherwise, um, is there anything else you want to touch upon or I'm sure that we'll probably missing something <laughs> that that whole technical thing we had earlier like that yeah, forever like fried my train of thought yeah, I know we've because I know we've already sort of done uh, the story and plot and then the characters kind of meld together there then we talked about the visual effects and we talked about um, the score just talked about the score of the film here um yeah i can't i can't really think of anything else should we just kind of go into our final thoughts on the film yeah let's do that um yeah with sort of the uh the few nitpicks that we've uh sort of touched upon on this film i would say um, overall, it's a far superior film. I would say by far the best uh, Toho uh, Godzilla movie that we've ever gotten from Toho. Light years better than Shin Godzilla <laughs> in that One regard. Of these days, I want us to have a podcast where we are basically comparing and contrasting basically Godzilla minus one versus Shin Godzilla and why minus one is better. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's, it's sort of painters, but I would say it painters in a good way, uh, sort of, cause I've seen some Easter eggs of certain things, even like down to the Easter egg of when, uh, after the aftermath of Ginza, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, uh, when he had got, uh, like some of the scientists using the uh, Geiger counters and stuff and the rubble, you notice a couple of those guys. One of them was wearing this kind of um, specific hat and then glasses in the way. I would say it harkens it, back yeah, to I the original. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> yep. like the original guy from back in 1954. That was I forget the actor's pretty name, sweet. but yeah. That's, that's the sort of uh, good sort of pandering, but they don't like put a lot of that pandering in your face except with a couple of nitpicks here and there that we've just uh gone over but this is sort of the perfect way on how to do some things maybe sort of a nod and kind of get some recognition to some of those certain things in there but not just pander for the sake of pandering and recycling things without doing some remastering or sort of recreating to add on to some of those certain things. This is a far superior Toho Godzilla movie. I think everyone's probably going to at least agree on. And I know I've seen some comments 
uh, here and there on social media where some people is like, oh, Shin Godzilla <laughs> better than um, the Minus Goji. And it's like, not at this point, no. <laughs> no, you have serious brain damage if you think that. <laughs> I use the Bill Cosby term, that's brain damage. <laughs> and, and also, it's just the film itself, it's really brutal. By far the most brutal uh, Godzilla film out there. Just, just seeing like Godzilla, you know, chopping at some of those guys at the very beginning when he was the Godzilla source at that time, you never seen Godzilla do that to any human whatsoever, maybe except for, you know, the usual stomping around and all that stuff, but just, it's not actually biting people. Yeah. that. That it's like when I saw that I was like, holy shit! Because <laughs> like you're not even used to that sort of thing, and that's also sort of kind of the newness that we need in this franchise—something new and something sort of out of nowhere, out of the ballpark. And this time it worked. Yeah, definitely, and it's just a far superior film. Also a tearjerker in a way in certain aspects of the film too. So go ahead. And if Jason cried, you know, it's a real emotional <laughs> film because this guy, you, he could see someone kick puppies and he'd be like, mm. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you're full of shit. You know that I know, um, but yeah. Th and the visual effects again, far superior to um, Shin Godzilla uh, and also you can definitely tell out of the six to seven, six to seven years that they've really improved their game to kind of get it up to the level of Hollywood style films uh, as far as visual effects and there's far more detail into everything when it comes to the visual effects aspects and it really shows and and with a lot of the hollywood movies they sort of have most of the action in the dark just to sort of hide all the impurities as far as this goes a lot of the action is dealt in the daytime and it kind of shows you that they're not afraid to show all the fantastical details not only into uh, Godzilla, but as well as the destruction, that's how confident they are in their improvement in visual effects after six to seven years. Whereas Shin Godzilla, they, you know, they show most of the action and everything. Majority of the action in the dark, they're short to hide some of the impurities like Hollywood films, but here they were more, much more confident this time around to have a lot of that action in the daytime and the characters really good in this one, probably one of the better uh, cast in a Godzilla film here to kind of tell the story even though it's not quite as complex as some of the other ones out there but they really do the job that they needed to do to bring this film to life 
here. And uh, when it comes to the score, again, phenomenal score, Hollywood level type of music. And again, uh, the critique here is should just only use one Godzilla theme in here Two sort of overdoing it, but three having three of them, even though they're a little bit different from one another, having three, I would say, in my opinion, is just overkill (laughs) at that point. But uh, other than that, I would say one of the best Godzilla films in the franchise not coming from Hollywood, but from Toho themselves <laughs> in that matter. And that sort of tells you right then and there. So I would give Godzilla minus one um, an A. Um, it's I will say a really, a really good movie with some with a few nitpicks and critiques in it, but I'm still going to give it an A. I would say that, and I think I've said this when we went through the anime trilogy, that the anime trilogy, even though it's not live action, I think I thought those were the best Godzilla films that Toho uh, put out since Godzilla 2000. And I still think those are really some of the best Godzilla stories ever told. And and part of that, yes, is the fact that it's one story over three movies that is, what, five, five and a half hours total to tell a story. So if you have that much time, of course, you're able to you <laughs> know, time put in all the <laughs> smallest details that you want for character story, etc. So, um, you know, it has that advantage. But yeah. – um, Godzilla minus one is really what Shin Godzilla should have been. And I understand, again, like I said earlier, Shin Godzilla was going for something different. It wasn't sort of a redoing or retelling of 54, nor trying to get to Godzilla's roots. But at the same time, the the way that that particular movie mishandled virtually everything to the Godzilla character, to character work, um, you know, the story as a whole, um, to me, imagine this, okay? Imagine that scene in Ginza where Godzilla shoots his fire breath and you have that atomic mushroom. Now picture this. A poster of Shin Godzilla in front of the tanks and the Japanese capital. Then Godzilla shoots his ray, and then you get the mushroom cloud. That's what this movie does to Shin Godzilla. It atomic blows it up. And (laughs) this – no movie is perfect, but this movie is pretty darn close. It is one of the best live-action Godzilla movies ever. I still need to see it. A number of more times to really see because I'm not quite sure where I put it. I think I will put it maybe in my top five, but I'm not quite sure yet. Yeah, for me, uh, I would at least put it in the top ten for right now. Easily top we, ten for me too. Until easily. we view more of it. Whether or not it reaches like top five level, even top three, I still want to see it a number of more times. But regardless, if here's the thing, if I'm if I'm talking about favorites, it may not be top five. And I'm talking about favorites, okay? 
But if I'm talking about what I think as objectively possible as I can, what I think are the best ones, not my favorites, but what I think are the best, this one is actually at the top, if not behind the anime trilogy. I'm mm-hmm. putting the anime trilogy as a one movie because it is one story. So to me, it battles with the anime trilogy as far as like the best Godzilla films ever made this movie really captures horrors of war and tragic loss but yet the rethinking of norms and traditions and what it means to be a true warrior a true hero that there is nothing wrong to have not seen combat that this film really does an exceptional job of showing psychological damage to people in the face of war The unfortunate thing, however, is that the film pulls back a few of its punches. It keeps Noriko alive. And what was the other problem I had? Um, The score. (laughs) Some of those. Well, no, I'm talking more about the story. But um, the fact, too, that I, again, I think the showing of Godzilla regenerating was something they shouldn't have done either but to me bringing Noriko back was not a good move um, and then while I'm at the criticisms again I would have liked a little bit more of our characters like Captain Noda and Kid even Noriko herself um, I would say maybe the other thing is sort of it felt like sort of Forcing Noriko into the story, maybe kind of give a background of her being a longtime friend of the main character or something of the sort. Yeah, like you're rewriting her character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think those things. And there are a few other nitpicks, like I said. Like I don't the the Godzilla theme during the Ginza thing. I think was really. No, that should not have happened. I, I to me that was uh, a bad decision. In the other two moments, it's fine, I guess. Um, I still would prefer again to leave Fukube's music out. Um, this, for me, was a bit of a tearjerker at points too. Um, like I told my wife the other night, I said. Because I wondered initially before I saw it Friday night if this was going to be appropriate for our son to see. Because to me, again, like from the trailers and stuff, to me it seemed like this was going to be really intense. And on some level it is, but it was nowhere near as intense as I thought it was going to be. And part of that is the film's fault because, again, for the umpteenth time, seeing Noriko alive, I I still mm, – that, that does bother me a little bit. But – This is – 
a very moving film that if you're a parent, I think it hits you in the gut a little bit harder. That's what I told my wife. And I think people who have seen combat, this will hit them as well. That's not to say that if you're someone like myself who has never seen combat or if you're like Jason who has never seen combat and is not a parent that it's not going to affect you because it can. I mean by God, if you're a human being, you should be like welling up at least once during this film. I Even though I didn't like it, I still welled up a little bit when he saw Noriko at the end and he was just like bawling his eyes out that she was still alive. Yeah. Like to me, like I said, I I am a sap for happy endings, but I still thought with what this film was trying to do, that was not a good decision to make. Um, Godzilla minus one has a phenomenal effects work. There's still a few issues with movement that they got to work out, but by and large, it is definitely a, a huge improvement, even from seven years ago with Shin Godzilla score at least how i have listened to it through the film itself incredible as well naoki sato is i if i i hope he comes back for a future film mm-hmm. whether yeah. it's a sequel to this or not i honestly hope there is no sequel to this film i really hope that there isn't because to me it will minimize how powerful this film is because this I don't want them to do with this movie like they did with Gojira and, you know, you start bringing, but then again, we wouldn't have the Godzilla franchise. So mm-hmm. something's got to give. Somewhere. Or any of the kaiju <laughs> that, right. that have been sprouted so, up. Yeah. So it's like, well, then you would just have Gojira and we wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah, have figures here. I wouldn't have these behind me and all that. Yeah, so it's, it's a definite pro and con. <laughs> yeah. You know, damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. Yeah. Um, so I, I just hope with this one there is no sequel. This one is almost near as perfection as I think you can get. Definitely has a few issues, but I don't think any of them hurt the film so much that it minimizes its effect. Could have used a little bit more Godzilla in my opinion, but again, that's a nitpick. Final thought is Godzilla minus one needs to be seen by every Godzilla fan. I think even if you are a newbie to Godzilla and this is your first film that you're going to see, like, see it. Like, you don't need to see Gojira necessarily. You don't need to see any of the Go see Nin- this. Make this your introduction. Nineteen eighty-five. You don't need to see that or uh, Godzilla, like the American version of it. This is a, a definite introduction of how the whole Godzilla lore comes into play yeah. and sort of takes- you get, you get everything sort of that have sprouted up in the Godzilla lore over, over the years into one film. Yeah. And I mean, it takes a few minor twists to the lore, but in many respects, it's kind of the same thing mm-hmm. as far as his origins and, and what have you. This is a film. Every Kaiju fan needs to see if you haven't already. And I think this will continue to be one of the heavy favorites within the Western fandom. Heaven forbid, though, if the fan base goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs again, that within, let's say, three to five years from now, all of a sudden it becomes like a 50-50 or worse where they or, start bashing. Hopefully not. Or or maybe it's when we get 
or maybe when we get to G Festival, kind of see how everyone feels about it. So hopefully it's majority positive going in. But and I, th- I still think it will be. I still, I honestly, truly believe moving. For- yeah, I think there will be st- some people that will be, you know, those kinds of people. But I don't think it'll be that bad moving forward. I think even ten years from now, it'll still be very much beloved even with western fans because like because like now you're starting to get a little bit of a shift when it comes to the 98 godzilla now after uh, a couple a couple decades well (laughs) i've 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 actually sort of started to notice a little bit of a shift in it after the only shift with that one i've seen is that people say okay it's a good monster movie, but not a good Godzilla movie. There's always that stupid little caveat that they put at the end. It's a good monster movie, but not a good Godzilla movie. That it's sort of, sort it's, of the it's little cope. Is what it is. It's <laughs> talking out of seeds. both sides of the mouth. <laughs> is what it is. Um, but Godzilla minus one is phenomenal. Even my son, I asked him when we walked out of the theater last night. I said, "What'd you think of it?" He looked at me. And he said, best one ever, which I thought he would say he loved it for sure. I, I figured he would say that, but I still thought he might think like Godzilla versus Kong or one of those other movies was going to be his favorite, if not what he thought was going to be better than this one. He mm-hmm. said, best one ever. And then when my wife asked him after a while, when we got home, she asked him what he thought of it. And he said the same thing. He said, best one ever. And he might and, – and I have to say this, though, too. This was his first Godzilla movie that he's seen in a theater. So maybe that has something to do with it as well, perhaps. But Godzilla we'll have to see when We'll have to see when Godzilla X-Kong comes out. Kind of have to ask him again after, yeah. after you get done watching that one. Yeah. Uh, Godzilla Minus One, near perfection. Has, you know – few little nitpicks about it a couple things i will legitimately criticize it for but i don't think it condemns the film with all that being said i may change my rating on it in a little while but for this moment in time i'm giving it an a minus actually no screw it i'll give it an a (laughs) i was gonna say i'm a little bit surprised (laughs) right now though i will just say this with this caveat right now until i see it handful more times or whatever i'm gonna put it just behind the anime trilogy as far as what i think is the best godzilla story ever told and i put the anime trilogy there not just because i like it but because i think character work how they build the story how they complete everything is perfect storytelling Mm -hmm. not just in a godzilla film but just in any movie yeah so to me the anime trilogy is like the model of perfect storytelling this comes awfully close Hmm. but Godzilla minus one you need to see it support this film with your monies give it an A (laughs) it's incredible see it see it see it see it minus one minus one go see it (laughs) I'm serious go now what are you still here for 
we're just going to have housekeeping and like left. I mean, you know, that's it. Go see it right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, uh, that pretty much concludes, uh, today's show and, uh, thanks for watching. Uh, after this episode, we're going to be going back to our usual, um, Saturday, uh, showings at noon, but, uh, we're going to be, uh, taking a noon little central. bit of a break, uh, noon central, uh, standard time, but we're going to be taking a break for the next few weeks and, uh, getting prepared for the year in Kaiju Palooza episode, which is our, show. uh, annual, uh, year end episode where it's at least, um, two and a half hours <laughs> um it's but already it, two but uh it it can go on as far as four and a half hours like last year's and i hope we don't <laughs> do that again um so so yeah uh before we sign out um again if you see a subscribe button down below or above wherever you're watching us from make sure to hit that subscribe button as well as smash or stop the like button and if you have uh, uh, any comments uh, regarding to what we just discussed um, uh, with Godzilla minus one, make sure to have your comments down below the video. And you can find Daigaiju Network everywhere in one place at our uh, link tree URL right there on your screen for slash Daikaiju Network. And we're available on the following video platforms such as YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Facebook, and X slash Twitter. And also available on the following audio platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Podbean. And we have both video and audio versions of each of our episodes right on website, right there smack dab on your screen at DaikaijuNetwork.com. With that, thank you so much for joining us. Again, sorry about the technical difficulties. That's technology's fault. But we will see you in several weeks. Indeed. We'll see you guys next time. Next time.